So if uh, you're with me, <clears throat> are you with me? Well, it's good you're not against me. Go with me to uh, Leviticus chapter 25, 1 through 7. We're going to talk about the sabbatical year. What is the sabbatical year? Stand with me for the reading of the word. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 7. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest uh, you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your unintended vine. For it is a year of rest for the land, and the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you. For you, your male, your female servants, your hired man, and the stranger who dwells with you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, tonight, open up our heart, Lord God, we see again a foreshadow of Yeshua here, Lord God, in the seventh year, in the sabbatical year. Father God, may you bring us to a place where we greatly understand, Lord God, what you have done for us, what you're doing for us, and what you will do for us in the rest that you've given us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, you have here the sabbatical. What is the sabbatical, the Hebrew word for the sabbatical year? Anybody? Shemata. That's the one. It's, it's Shemata. There was a lot of news over the course of um, the last 20 or so years about the Shemata. There were some prophets who were predicting the seven year Shemata. 2000, in fact, they said 2001 was a Shemata. You had 9 11. And then 2008 was a Shemata. You had the great crash, the recession, the great recession. And then they said 2015, there were going to be some terrible things that happened. By the way, you're kind of seeing they were predicting bad things when the Shemata was actually good. But nothing happened in 2015. So now they're predicting 2022. That some terrible things, I mean, there have been a lot of terrible things that have happened. But the Shemata was not something that was to be bad. Okay, it is it is a Sabbath, it's essentially a, a a Sabbath of years. So you have you know the seventh day is the the Sabbath of the day, and then you had the seven year Sabbath, and um, then we're going to look at next week Jubilee, which was uh, essentially the fiftieth year that follows seven uh, periods of Sabbaths over the course of time. It was a time of rest, a time of meditation. Uh, it's a time of renewal and the releasing and freeing of people. There's a, a great picture again of Shamata, literally translated to release, uh, the seventh year in the Hebrew calendar. So I want to I dig into it. I want to share some things with you. And then we're going to kind of see how it really kind of fits into our lives at this time. So the first thing, again, it was, it was a, a time of rest. And when you, you know, you look at our, our text, um, solemn rest, not only for the land, but for the people and for the workers. And it was a time where, you know, they basically would just, you know, have, have a Shabbat. A, essentially, really, what it means is com a complete rest for a year. How many of you would like that? 
Well, it, it's really not a, comp you know, I mean, you have to do some things, right? But it was a, a time of rest. Second thing, the Sabbath year came with required reading and hearing God's word. And if we go back uh, or go forward to Deuteronomy chapter 31, 10 through 13, it says that Moses commanded them saying, at the end of every seven years, at the time of the remission of debts, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which you will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. So it, it was a time where people would read the word and they would hear the word. But essentially it, it was a time of, of contemplation, a time of meditation. I, I, I don't believe that um, we are bound to the Jewish Sabbath, right, as Christians. But I think that when God laid down the principle of Sabbath, I think it's good to have a Sabbath during the week. Now, some of you can't do that because you work on Sundays. I work on Sunday. But I think it's important to give yourself a day of, of rest and a day where you can stop, recharge your physical batteries, your psychological and emotional batteries, and your spiritual batteries. And it's a time where you can really connect. Again, you connect with God, and that's why we, you know, we, worship, we worship on the Lord's Day. But the Lord's Day, again, is not the Sabbath. But it could be made into a great day where you experience that renewal. And uh, give extra time to God. Give extra time to meditating on His Word. The third, the third, the Sabbath year was an agricultural rest. Every seventh year of the, for the land and its workers, there was no planting. So when we come back to verses 1 through 4, watch, watch what the Lord says here. He says, And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land, notice which I give you, it was given to them as a gift. When God gives to us a gift, he gives to us a stewardship. And this was to be a, a stewardship. They, they were to take care of the land. And, and again, on the seventh year, it was to be a rest for the land. Now, you, you look at today, you know, they're, they're, they're telling us that the soil is only 30 harvests away from being completely depleted in the United States. You know, just when it, the soil is our life, you, you know, our physical life. The, the soil is the source of life. If the soil doesn't produce food, there's, there's complete famine. And we're going to see, we're seeing famine right now beginning in the world with what's happened with the Ukraine. You're going to see massive famines as we go through. You're going to see massive famines in Africa. You're going to see famines in the Middle East. And now there's even some concern of there being famines in Europe. But in the future, just think of this, we could be literally 30 years away from the soil being completely depleted. And if the soil is depleted, right, you don't, you don't have fruits and vegetables, you also don't have the grains to be able to feed the animals that we eat. You have, you have massive starvation. Well, you know, why has that happened? Because of greed. The soil has been, you know, overly, overly farmed. Farmers that are, are driven by greed. Also the government, which plays all kinds of manipulation with the farmers, who again are over depleting the soil. So what you have here is, is a very important word. God wants us to take care of the soil and recognize that essentially, you know, we as human beings, we're only tenants here. Right? This stuff is, has been given to us, but it's on, on loan. We're, we're, we're stewards. 
Now, one of the things that, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a garden, something I learned, I mean, I had a garden, I learned a lot of great things from my garden. And with the garden, when um, I would plant, like I would plant tomatoes, and tomatoes are great in New Jersey, peppers are great in New Jersey. But when I planted them in the same spot over and over again, I noticed that as the years progressed, the crop got smaller and smaller and smaller. Why is that? Because certain crops, basically, they need certain minerals from the ground, and that when you're constantly planting the same crops, you deplete the ground of those minerals. So what do they, what do, they do? What, what do smart farmers do? They do what's called crop rotation. You have, you have to rotate the crops. By doing that, you're giving the land rest. So you'll, you'll, you'll actually plant, you might plant a certain crop, you know, one year, you plant a different crop the next year. But that's really, what, that's really what the rest of the land was for, to give the land a rest, to let the soil, again, regenerate, the, you know, the nitrates to regenerate, all, the, all the, the biology in the soil to regenerate, so that they would have productive crops through the period. When the soil, again, is over when it's overcropped, when it's basically overfarmed, this is what you end up with. And by the way, you're seeing this in many places across the world. The, the soil becomes absolutely, it, it's, it's totally lost all of its microbiological diversity and you can't grow anything in it. Also, the, the use of, of nitrates, the use of pesticides, destroys it destroys the soil and you may get you know you can get some great crops at first but eventually it destroys the soil and you can't grow anything in it i want to sh I, I just want to share something off do you ever hear of george washington carver who's ever heard of george washington carver okay a, a, a few of you so george washington carver he was the son of slaves who were liber liberated in uh, 1865 uh, he ended up he ended up getting educated, um, became uh, a very educated man. And George Washington Carver in history goes down as someone who saved the South. That's interesting, right? An African American, you know, son of, of slaves saved the South. How did he do that? Well, in the South, what is the main crop? What was the main crop through the years in the South? Cotton. And they well, is he tobacco? Yeah, he's, you're right, you're right, Freddie, but cotton was the main, it was the, the, the main, main crop. And they were planting cotton year after year after year, and then the cotton crop failed. So they couldn't grow, they couldn't grow cotton anymore. So the, the, the economy in the South was getting devastated. And George Washington Carver, he's known for basically coming up with 30 uses, I'm sorry, 300 uses for peanuts. And then he replaced the, the, the cotton fields with a peanut crop, and they had all these uses. And this is just something, look at this. This is a list. I'm not going to read it to you. But um, this is a short list of peanut byproducts discovered by George Washington Carver. Look at the first one, peanut punch. I, I, I never heard, you know, had peanut punch. Some of them are really unusual. But peanut oils, and we see peanut oil is used in, in, in just about everything. But he saved it. But what, you know, why did he save it? How did he save it? By basically tending to the soil and rotating the crop. So again, what God is here saying is he's not saying rotate the crop. Just stop planting. For one year, give the ground a chance to regenerate, to produce all again those, those nitrates and those microbiological you know, elements that make for great 
crops and for great planting. Okay, number four. I'm giving you a little agricultural, uh, agricultural lesson here. The fourth is the Sabbath year included the forgiveness of debts. All debts. And so, in Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 through 6, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. That's again, not shamata in the, in the, in the Hebrew. Of a foreigner, you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no poor among you. For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. Only if you carefully obey, now watch this, if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe with care all these commandments which I command you today, for the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but you shall not, uh, they shall not reign over you. So I want to give you a, a hypothetical here. So it's the first year, okay, you've got seven years until the sabbatical year, and you borrow $10,000 from someone. And you come to the seventh year, and you've paid back 9000 but now it's the seventh year you do not have to pay the final 1000 Let's say you're, you borrow $5,000 in the sixth year and you only pay back 1000 and it's the seventh year. You still owe 4000 Your debt is canceled. Okay, if anybody here has debt, wouldn't that be wonderful? Right? But that's, that's now, now uh, I'll show you here, you may be sitting there and saying, well, that sounds really unfair. You have to understand, we live in a, in a democratic republic. I don't know for how long, but um, we live in a democratic republic. This is in a monarchy. You know, when I, when I tell you, when people ask me, you're democratic republican, I say I'm a monarchist because I believe what, you know, Jesus is going to come back and set up his monarchy. I'm a monarchist. But this was a monarchy, this was, this was not a republic, this was not a democracy, this is not a socialistic government. This is a monarchy with God ruling. And God, God said to the lenders, you need to do this. You need to lend freely. And even if they're not able to make the full payment by the seventh year, you need to cancel their debt. And God says, I will take care of you and bless you. So it, 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 brings us, it brings us to a place where, where trust was a major factor in all of this. Now God expected them to lend. And, and he expected people to pay back. But in the cases they couldn't pay back, okay, then they were liberated and they were free. Okay, number five, the Sabbath year benefit to the poor. So again, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, 7 through 11, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates uh, in your land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from the poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought, watch this, in your heart, saying the seventh year, the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your brother and you give him nothing, right? It's, it's the, the, the sixth, it's six years and three months into it, 
And you say, nope, right? God is saying, don't let that wicked thought come into your heart. So it, it goes on here, and he says, and, he, and, and your brother here, and he cry out to the Lord against you, um, and it becomes sin amongst you. Verse 10, you shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you. Watch this again. If you do it, he will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and needy in your land. So God, God here says when you're, when you're lending, if you lend to the poor, don't have that, that wickedness in your heart and saying, well, you know what, this poor person may not be able to pay back because if you will live by faith and trust in him, he says that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to bless you. Right? He Again, he is the ruling king. Very different, right? Now, some of you are having a hard time wrapping your, your mind around this right now, right? Because our so- society, if you can't pay... Right, you're, unless unless you owe ten thousand dollars in your uh, college education, maybe you're going to get that. You know, we're, we're not even sure that's going to follow through and be moved because I'm not sure it was legal. But if you do have college debt, you're probably looking forward to getting ten thousand dollars. You know, uh, you know, resolved. Okay, number six, God promised to provide enough food to carry them through, but they had to trust Him. So they're not going to be planting and harvesting for a year. So boy, this is a real step of faith to trust in God that he's going to provide. So watch again. We'll go back to Leviticus chapter 25. Look at verse 18 through 22. So you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them, and you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell there safely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce, then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. So this is just a complete, this is a complete challenge of trust. And you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce until the ninth year, until its produce comes in, you shall eat of the old harvest. So God here, he's promising, if you will trust me, I will basically multiply, again, your produce three times. But you have to be willing to trust for me to be able to do that. By the way, a lot of this applies to us in our Christian life. God calls us to live by faith and not by sight. I mean, this is not a, you know, a direct, this is the, the, the shamata is not something that God directly places upon us. The, the last one, before I, I kind of go into the, the, my, my final part of the message, the Sabbath year dad forgiveness caused a lot of problems down the road. A lot of problems. So in Second in Chronicles 36.21, by the way, Jeremiah, you know, I've been, I've been going to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was prophesying that the Babylonians were going to come and they were going to basically destroy Jerusalem and take the people captive into Babylon. And he kept warning uh, the kings, Zedekiah, the other kings, do not resist Nebuchadnezzar and his commander, Nebuchadnezzar, because they're going to come. And um, what you need to do is you need to surrender, and you're going to be taken into captivity. And Jeremiah, you know, said the captivity is going to be, in fact, do you know this? How long did God predict the captivity 
of Israel in Babylon? 70 years. That's right. That's, again, that prophecy fulfilled exactly, okay, to the return of Ezra. 70 years. So it's interesting. Keep that in mind. 70 years. Now, the reasons for the Babylonian captivity, the sins were many. Child sacrifice, immorality, idolatry, uh, greed. But one of them was the breaking of the Shemata. And that's what is spoken here in Second Chronicles 36.21. They broke Shemata, they broke the seventh year, Sabbath, watch, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. In other words, you did not keep Shemata. You, 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 know, you, were, not, you were not freeing people of their debts. You did not take care of the land. And let the land heal. And because of that, now you're going to have a 70-year Shemata. <laughs> Larry, I'm happy you're laughing because I'm laughing. Yeah, it's got, this is, it's, it's, God's got a sense of humor. A 70-year Shemata. The land lay totally barren for 70 years with the people being taken into Babylon because they refused to honor Shemata in that one out of every seven-year period. And that is uh, the Shemata, that is the sabbatical year. Now, I want to share just again something here in relation to us, a present experience and a future fulfillment. Because Shemata has a present experience for us, and I, I, I hope and pray that you're all experiencing it. But it also has a, a future fulfillment. So Shemata again is a rest. It is uh, the release of a debt. It is uh, rest from the law. It is rest from guilt. It is rest from sin that Jesus gives to us, right? He has given us release, right? So in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So rest from what? What does Jesus give us? He gives us an immediate rest now from what? Yeah, from, from sin, from, from the, you know, the punishment of sin, from condemnation, from, from the guilt, from the guilt uh, 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 of sin. He gives us, he gives that to us. So again, this, this is a, a, a current experience and fulfillment that we have in Yeshua, right, that we have experienced the Shamata, the release of uh, our penalty and our debt. We had a debt. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled Shamata. But it's interesting. He fulfilled Shamata. He is fulfilling Shamata. And he will fulfill Shamata. Right, this is what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 18. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle by no means will pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Right? He, he fulfills the law. He fulfills the law of the tabernacle. He is the tabernacle. He fulfills the law of the five sacrifices that we studied in the beginning of Leviticus. He is our burnt offerings, our sin offering, our guilt offering, our fellowship offering. 
He fulfills the, 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 the seven holy days, the seven holy Sabbaths, the Day of Atonement, right? Yom, Yom Kippur, uh, the Passover. He's our Passover. He fulfills the entire law and he fulfills Shemata by canceling the debt. Why? Because he paid the debt. He paid our debt. We don't have a debt. Your, your, your sins have been forgiven. <laughs> there, is, there is no debt. God isn't, God isn't standing there. If you haven't come to Christ, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you still owe a debt. That's why it's scary. The, the great white throne judgment is scary because those people are standing there and basically they haven't been forgiven. The debt has not been canceled. And so when, when it says like they're, 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 the books will be opened, all their sins will be brought before them. And they haven't had those sins forgiven or covered by the blood of the Lamb. So that's a, that's kind of a, 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 that's a frightening thing. Colossians chapter 2, 13 through 14. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. All your sins have been forgiven. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Right, all those, all those laws that we broke. Right, have you ever lied? Every lie. Have you ever stolen something? Have you ever stolen anything? Every time you stole. Right, every time you took the Lord's name in vain. Right, every, every evil thought, every evil act, right? It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, right? How, how did he do it? Having nailed it to the cross. And that one, the whole, he paid our debt in full on the cross. Right, one Black Friday. So that is, that, that is Shamata. <laughs> are you in the Shamata? Have you enjoyed the blessing of Shamata, right? We are forgiven. Now, so I, I, I say this, there's, there's, the scripture teaches we have been saved. But we are being saved. And we will be saved. I just want you to, to stop. You try to, that's something that theologians, theologians talk about. So I want to I share this with you. We have been released from the debt. We have been forgiven. Right? We've been delivered from sin. Do you still struggle? Does anybody here not have struggles? Struggles in your walk, struggles walking on the straight and narrow. So I want to show you a couple of passages that, that share this, this struggle. One is Romans chapter 7, 21 through 25. Paul here writes, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bring me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from, notice he says, who will deliver me from this body? And the word there is soma, and soma refers to physical body. He says, he says who will deliver me from this body of death, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And by the way, the body, our bodies are not sinful. 
you know, your, your body doesn't, you know, isn't, isn't the cause of your sin. You, you make a decision to sin. But this body that, that we live in, uh, it's, it's dying. Look what he says there, this, this, soma, this soma of death. It's decaying. And, and why is it decaying? Because of what? Because of sin. Not just that you eat too much McDonald's. It's because, because of sin. Right? And, you know, it, it's just sin has caused, right? Man, man was never meant to die. And I say, this, I say this, you know, frequently when I do funerals. People say, well, well death is natural. But then why do you cry at the funeral? Why do you weep? If it's, I mean, like, to me, eating is natural. Do you cry when you eat? Unless you really got a bad meal in front of you, maybe then you're crying. Pooping is natural. Do you cry when you poop? Unless you ate some really hot <laughs> spicy tacos the night before. <laughs> right? You don't, you, don't, you don't cry. You don't cry. Those are natural things. But when someone dies, we cry. Right? It's, it's, not, it's not natural. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb. It's, it's, it's not natural. Man wasn't meant to die. So sin entered the world, and when sin entered, death entered. And so we, we have this, this vehicle that um, we basically are carried around in. Now, look at another, another verse on this point, 2 Corinthians 4.16. You may be sitting and going, where is he going with this? I'm, I'm going somewhere. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. The word there is, is diaptero. It's decaying. Our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Right? We, we start losing cells early on. Right? I say that, that, that you know, the, the ocean waves become sandy beaches, right? We're, we're losing. We have the receding of our gums, the receding of our hairlines, the receding of everything. We're, we're in a place where we're perishing outwardly. And that, again, that is the result of sin. So it, in 1 Corinthians, again, 15, 42 through 44, he here compares, again, the resurrection, and he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. Right? It's sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And again, it is sown a natural body. And again, when he uses the word body here three times, soma, 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 he's talking about the physical body. He says, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. It is, uh, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So he, he's here talking about, again, this, this body that we live in is corrupt, is, is, is decaying. And it will be raised, right, to glory, it will be raised in, in power. So, by the way, if, if you're wondering about, the people often ask me, you know, what are the people who are cremated? How is God going to resurrect their body? Well, what about a person, you know, people who had died at sea and the sharks ate them? You know, where, where, where is God going to find that, you know, that body to, to resurrect? And, um, if you know anything about DNA. By the way, if you, if, you touched, if you touched the chair in front of you, you will leave some DNA on it. You have left your DNA all over the place. So God is going to find it with no problem. <laughs> and that, that, it's amazing. That digital code has everything in it 
to make a new body, right? To make a new body, a, 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 a new body. Look, they, you know, you've seen um, Jurassic Park, and they're, they're playing around with stuff in, the, in that movie that they're, the scientists are playing around with. You know, they've been able to clone sheep, they're cloning mice, they're cloning all kinds of, eventually they're going to, you know, the way things are going, I think the Lord's going to come back soon because they're going to be cloning human beings. They're going to clone you, they can clone a body, by the way, this, and this is basically, if you get into some of the you know, scientific journals and the medical journals, it sounds very noble that they can clone you and they can clone a body and they just, you keep it, you keep it, they keep it in a place for spare parts. So you need a new liver, you need a new heart, right? You need a new kidney, maybe you need new hips or you need a new knee or you need a new, new, new shoulder, they can, they can replace you. It sounds really kind of wonderful, but you're kind of playing God, Right? Playing around with stuff. I mean, this is right where, where bioscience and what you you know what's happening right now. Really, kind of scary stuff. We're close. We're close. I'm telling you. I don't know how much longer God will wait, but we're close. We're close for the rapture to happen. I believe we're close for the tribulation to happen. So, again, they God can take that DNA. But there was a scientist. I read an article. I read an article in a medical journal a couple of years ago where the scientist is boasting that we could basically. By finding DNA, we can recreate everyone who's ever lived. And he's, he's right with what he's in. That's what God will do with the resurrection. So here's, a, here's an interesting passage. This is, a, this is actually a passage that most people miss. When we, we talk about the rapture, most people will think of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I don't know if you've ever seen this. In 2 Corinthians... Five verses two and three, and it's Paul really sharing his heart. He says, "For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation." And the the word habitation only used twice in the scriptures. It's used here and it's used in Jude, oikotirion. Uh, it refers to a a house. This right, we we earnestly desire to be clothed with our habitation. He's he's not talking about what we're in right now because it's decaying. He's saying we, we, we have this groaning, this longing for this habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. So he's saying, you know what he's saying here? Not to be found naked. So he's referring to when a, a person dies in the Lord, right? Death is a separation from physical death, separation from the soul, from the body. Spiritual death is separation of the soul from God. So when a person dies in the Lord, their soul goes up to be with the Lord. Okay, the body then is placed in the ground. That's what Paul is saying. It, 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 that's to be naked. We don't have our glorified bodies yet, right until the resurrection happens. He, he's, he's, I mean, to be away from the body, right, Paul says, is to, right, is to be present with the Lord, right? He, say, he says, better for me to leave die and go to, but Paul is essentially, he, from his own words, he's naked right now. <laughs> That's what he's, he, he's saying. He doesn't, he doesn't have his glorified body right now. He has a soul. And we, we know, right, when, uh, when the appearance occurred with uh, Moses and Elijah, and Elijah had a body because he was raptured. But um, Moses died. And yet, they, Jesus knew that it was Moses. I says there's some type of spiritual body, soulish body that we have when we go to be with the Lord and die. 
At the resurrection, the body will be united and we'll have a glorified body like Jesus. But for now, right, for now we're, we're in this body that uh, essentially is decaying. You know what, I'll give you an illustration here. You have a computer, you have a cell phone. Hold up, hold up your cell phone. So that cell phone has um, software in it, right? How much, how much does software weigh? Does anyone know? Let's, let's, say, let's say you have a really a super phone and you are going to load software into it and you're going to load the software of like every bit of information that has happened over the course of the last 10 years. How much more would your phone weigh? It wouldn't weigh anything. It wouldn't weigh any more. You know, I saw, because software, software is just information. Information has no mass. It has, it, it has no energy. Okay? So that's, that's software. But the computer that you have, right, the, the, the device, that's hardware. You know what your body is? It's hardware. And you know what your soul is? Your soul is software. And your software, when you die, goes to be with the Lord. Your hardware goes into ground, but but and by the way, I'll say this to you: the only the only thing that will not you know basically decay is your soul. Your soul is immortal, whether you're a believer or not. the The unbeliever's soul is immortal. The unbeliever will live you know forever. The question is, where will they live? One will live with you know in heaven with God. The other one will be in essentially in the lake of fire. So the scripture then, getting, you know, getting back to the concept of Shemot and the resurrection, 1 John chapter 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been revealed uh, what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And that's talking about a glorification, glorification of body, soul, and spirit. But the glorification of the body, we shall have bodies like, like Jesus, like he had with the resurrection, where he was able... Jesus was moving through multiple dimensions. He's moving. He's move, He's up in. You know. He's up in heaven. He was in paradise. He's back here on earth, and he's moving. He's moving through time and space, very freely. He moves through the wall. Right. He didn't knock. He he is able to. Eat. He said. He says it's flesh and bone, but it's glorified flesh and bone. We have a hard time again, wrapping our minds around. You know, really how how incredible incredible that is. But we shall be like him through the resurrection. Shamata is complete release from this body. Not only not only from our sins, but from the complete effect of sin. This we're still dealing with the effect of sin living in this hardware. The software has been redeemed. The software has been forgiven. Then what happens is he's going to take this hardware, he's going to take our bodies and he is going to again glorify them. When will he do that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51 through 54. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we all shall not sleep but we shall be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. That's talking about the rapture and it's talking about the resurrection. For this corruptible 
must put on incorruption and this immortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then uh, shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That's it, right? There it is. This physical, this physical decaying, right, software, <laughs> right? This, uh, this hardware, right? is going to be transformed into something truly magnificent, something wonderful. I'll give you, I'll give you one more verse. And First um, Thessalonians four fifteen through 18. For this we say to you uh, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. Listen carefully, because I believe the trumpet is very soon to blow. Very soon. We're going to get into uh, Matthew chapter 12 um, starting next week and uh, on Sunday mornings and uh, be seeing some things that I believe we are, we are very close, right? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. All those who have died, right? That um, their bodies will be glorified and will be united with their souls. That is the resurrection of the body. And in verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That is the harpazo. Right? And I say the rapture. The rapture, raptismos was, was a translation by Jerome in the third century. He was translating this verse and he translated it into Latin. And raptismos, the rapture, the rapture is a Latin word. But the harpazo is the, really the proper word. And that is, again, what's being described here in verse 17. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, what does he say? Comfort one another with those words. What are we doing tonight? I hope you are comforted by these words. This world is getting crazy, right? It's getting nutty. It's, it's, it's getting crazier and crazier every day. But realize the Lord, that trumpet's going to blow, and we're going to be meeting him, right, in the clouds. And uh, this decaying thing, this, this, right, this hardware that we've been walking around with, right, is going to be transformed into a glorified body, and there we will be with the Lord forever. So, so essentially, again, when I, talk about, when I talk about Shemata, it is an experience now that we have, but ultimately, right, it is a fulfillment in the resurrection of our bodies through the rapture or through the resurrection. So we enjoy being freed, the release of the penalty of our sin, condemnation, Right? There, is, there is no fear of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but we also look to the fulfillment of the resurrected body and the rapture. Shemata. Take you to Shemata. Be encouraged. Smile. You are in Shemata. <laughs> right? When somebody asks you, hey, how you doing? Say, Shemata. I'm doing very good. I'm enjoying the Shemata of God. Say that to a Jew. I'm enjoying the Shemata of God. I have been released, I have been forgiven, and I'm looking forward to being glorified and being with the Lord forever and ever. Amen? Let's stand. We say thank you, Father, for your word, and Lord God, an encouraging word. It's, it truly is a hope, Lord God. We, we live with this, this, 
blessed hope of the expectation of you coming. And Lord, while we're here, we occupy. And Lord God, we praise you every day and we give thanks to you every day that we have been forgiven. We have been justified. We have been released from the penalty of our sins. And Lord God, that's something that we truly, Lord God, we, we, we count it a privilege. So many around us, Lord God, who have not grasped on, who have not been able to receive that, I pray more will. Use us to share that word with them. But Lord God, we always give you thanks and praise for what you've done. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.